message, a brief message that uh, comes from Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 20 through 22. It says in Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 20 through 22, Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them always on your heart. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will speak to you. For all of you that are here in the sanctuary, extended sanctuary, overflow room, online, that is an interesting portion of scripture because it sets a charge and actually a challenge for all of us who need to heed the wonderful godly messages and words and teachings of a mother. But also it places a a sober call, a sacred call on every mother to maintain that role of mentoring and making sure that you speak the words that your son or daughter, be them young or old, need to hear from the heart of God. When I reflect on some words from my own mom, she's 95 years old, she's still alive, she's probably watching right now online, but when I think of uh, her words to me, it usually incorporates when I get up and speak about the Lord. She always would say to me, Gary, center on Jesus. You could hear that in the song. Don't fear anyone but God. Don't please anyone but God. Preach about a real heaven and a real hell. And preach more about hell than you do about heaven because there's so many that are going there. I think of those words every time I get up to speak because those are words that my mother has spoken over me. I think of all of our lives, and you want to consider what words have been spoken over your life. And I thought, Lord, what do you want me to speak on this Mother's Day? And I I felt like he said, glean the insights from mothers of the past, out of antiquity, moms that would give advice to everyone here, not just to mothers or fathers, but everyone, everyone who's listening. What kind of advice would we receive from some mothers of the Old and New Testament? And I thought, first and foremost, Eve. Eve, what would she counsel? What would she advise? What would she communicate to us? Of course, within the context of the scope of what we know from Holy Scripture without too much conjecture or speculation, but what would she communicate to us today? What counsel or advice would she deliver to us? Well, her very name, Eve, means mother of living. And actually, out of the Hebrew, it's translated as the source of life. Wow, what a title bestowed upon her. Eve, source of life. It says something about mothers, women, that God has so fashioned and shaped you and created you that you have the ability to multiply whatever has been imparted to you. God gives you the ability, like he does with so many, to do something that God has ordained and designed and fashioned and created you to to do and to be. I think of my own wife, Diane. What a wonderful and amazing wife and mother. And I can think with her, you know, you could give her something. I could give her uh, groceries and she'll give me back a meal. Give her a house and she'll give you back a home gave her my seed, and she gave me back some beautiful children. There's that ability to multiply. When you think of Eve as a source of life and the mother of the living, 
But then the tragedy that's recorded in Genesis chapter 3, what would she say to us about that? And I think she would say this as advice to all of us. Don't underestimate the serpent. Don't underestimate the evil one, how cunning and deceptive he could be. That he can package a lie in truth, in, in actually in facts and reasoning and make it sound convincing. The deception that descended over her ears when she listened to the critique that the serpent had of God, his motive and his intent. And then when you think of Eve and how she responded to that, I think she would say that to all of us today. Don't allow yourself to underestimate the cunning of the serpent, the liar, and how he can truly package certain lies to sound so reasonable, so convincing. He's so persuasive. I mean, she would probably say to you, when he invited me to look at that tree, then that's when I looked and I considered that it was, it was good, good food to be eaten. And it was something that created a delight and pleasure to see it. And it fostered a, a desire to become wise. And I succumbed to that along with Adam. And in the midst of that, fell into that deception. So can I encourage everyone in here, whoever you are influencing or mentoring, be sober about that role in their life. Be sober about discerning any serpent that can bite your children or your grandchildren. Things that seem so innocent, there can be a serpent in the midst of that innocence. There can be deception there. And we have to be so discerning in the midst of our culture with all the deception that is out there. Don't underestimate that reality. I think she'd also say to us, don't underestimate the redemptive power of God, that God can redeem our mistakes, our sins, that we can place our trust in him to be redemptive. I think she would say, I saw that redemption when it occurred in my own life with one of my sons murdering another. Think of that. And then how God provided Seth as a replacement for Abel. But in the midst of it, God's redemption. I think she would say, listen, when Adam and I sinned, disobeyed God, and it began to unfold, we also knew that it became the very inception of the story of redemption. Because we heard from the Lord as he spoke his judgment upon the serpent. He said, one day there'll be one who will come with the heel and crush your head. We knew that there was a story of redemption even at the inception of when we made a sinful choice. So don't underestimate the evil one and don't underestimate the redemptive power of God to intervene and take a crooked stick and make a straight blow. Take a negative and create a positive by his vertical input. Trust him. Look to him. I think if we considered the counsel or the input of Sarah, who is the wife of Abraham, the mother of Isaac, but the unfolding of her story as recorded in the book of Genesis is quite interesting. And I think she would say this, if she was going to say anything to all of us here as far as advice, I think she would say to us, listen, um, 
Don't superimpose your plan or your will or your timing upon God's. Trust his plan. Trust his promise. Trust his strategy in the fulfillment of his promise. Trust his timing. Don't allow, this is what I believe Sarah would say. Don't allow your impatience with the process to become a pen in your hand to then write a completely different plan. Don't allow that impatience to create a pen and you write another plan. Turn to him and say, God, I'm going to trust you. Now, we know in the context of this, when the promise landed on the ears of Abraham and on the ears of Sarah, it had almost been 10 years that had passed. She became impatient. But in the midst of that, she came up with a plan and a strategy that, of course, she was so disturbed that she did afterwards because she saw the effects of it. And actually, it was another 15 more years after that. You know, it was 25 years before the fulfillment of the promise that God gave to Abraham and Sarah with the birth of Isaac, 25 years. It was a long haul. And naturally, there's a propensity within all of us to, to succumb to saying, wow, God, you're taking so long. Your promise has not been fulfilled. It's hard for me to trust your watch, your timing in this scenario, in this situation, in the fulfillment of your promise. And so we sometimes superimpose our own plan, go with our own timetable. And I think Sarah would say to all of us, don't do it. Don't make the mistake I did. It's impacted generations to follow. Trust God's timing. That might seem like a simple piece of advice, but if you practice it, it'll change you. Trust his timing. Trust his plan. Trust his timing. Trust his plan. Then you think of Hagar. Now, she was part of that whole situation, right? Would she give any of us any kind of advice? I think she would. Remember, Hagar was the maidservant of Sarah. And according to Sarah's plan, she said, all right, go ahead, Abraham. You can have relations with her. Some theologians will say that this was now like the second wife in their customs and traditions of the day, the second wife of Abraham. And so she became pregnant. And we know there's all kinds of tension that resulted between Sarah and Hagar. Tremendous tension. And in the midst of all that tension and everything became so convoluted and there was the wrath and anger of Sarah upon Hagar, she runs into the desert and she wants to give up on life altogether. Have you ever found yourself in that place? Maybe if she were standing here, she'd say, listen, I know what it feels like to get messed up with a lot of stuff and it wasn't even of my own making. It was a plan. It was someone else's plan that I was superimposed into and now I'm paying a price for it. I can't see clearly. Things are blurry. They're blind. I can't figure it all out. I'm under someone else's wrath and frustration and anger. I'm pregnant with a child that I wonder what is going to become of him. And in the midst of that, do you know Hagar gives a title to God? It's from her. She says, oh, but you are. El Rohe, 
El Rohe, the God who sees. I think she would say to you and to me, hey, if I have the opportunity to give you any advice, if I could summarize my life quickly and give you a piece of advice, it's when you can't see clearly, when things are really distorted, convoluted, confusing, your mind is riddled with perplexity, when you're in that place in your life and you just can't see clearly on how to process through a decision, how to heal a relationship, how to attend to a situation, whatever it might be, can I tell you, when you can't see clearly, just know God still sees you. His eye is still upon you. And that will engender so much strength to rise up in the midst of the milieu of confusion and perplexity and frustration. And it'll cause you to keep on keeping on because you'll know his presence is with you. To know that. I think of the New Testament when the disciples in the boat, the story we're all familiar with, and the storm was rising. They couldn't see clearly. They didn't know what was going on. They were fearful for their very life, like Hagar. And then the Lord said, be still. His voice descended, and the storm was calm. And sometimes when the storm doesn't suddenly stop, I remember a word that God gave to me. He said, Gary, if my voice can calm a storm, you know, son, my presence can carry you through one. You know my presence can carry you through one. So for Hagar, the tension was still there even when she got up and returned. But she knew that God's presence was with her. She knew the eye of the Lord is on me. He sees me even when I can't see things myself and can't figure it all out. Jochebed, what would she say to us? First of all, who was she? She was the mother of Moses. We know the decree of the Pharaoh at the time was the destruction of the male born. And so she was confronting in her day a decision that she had to make. She had to navigate through this with wisdom to know exactly what to do. Think of its application to us today. There's so many things assaulting the young people. There's so many things assaulting all of us of splitting and separation and fragmentation and death and darkness that presses in strong and hard, wants to take life emotionally and psychologically and even physically. And here in the midst of it, Jacobet had to face that. There was death that was coming after her offspring. Let me say that again. There was death that was coming after her offspring. Maybe it's your son or daughter, grandson, granddaughter, your children. Maybe you're not a mom or a dad, but you've got people that you're influencing, and you want the best for them. You want life for them. You want purpose for them. And death is coming after them. The decree of the Pharaoh. Darkness is coming after what would she advise? I think Jacobed would say to all of us, listen, I'll tell you what to do in the midst of that turmoil, in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that fear, in the midst of that darkness, in the midst of a decree of death. This is what I tell you to do. In case that little loved one in a basket of hope and trust and faith 
and prayer. And though you put it on a dangerous river that was infested with crocodiles, doesn't matter, you trust God, that God will draw him, draw her out. See, the name for Moses, both in the Egyptian tongue and the Hebrew tongue, means to draw out. Moses, to draw out. I don't know who it would be in your life that you may have to say, oh, God, she is so, he is so, they are so surrounded with darkness and death, but I'm going to surround them with my prayer and intercession. I'm going to weave this basket with hope and faith in you that you will draw her out. You will draw him out of that decree of death and that darkness. That's what I believe Jacobet would say. And she'd say to you, have hope because God can do it. Her very name means the glory of God will be revealed. That's what Jacobet means. The glory of God, the revealing of God, the intervention of God will be revealed. If you'll trust him, you'll trust him. Then you have another mother, and this is in the New Testament, Eunice. You wonder, who's Eunice? Well, she's the daughter of Lois. Who's Lois? <laughs> Lois is the grandmother. Eunice is the mother of Timothy, the pastor, Timothy, the one that the apostle Paul would mentor and disciple. Yet Paul will attest to Timothy's mother and grandmother, as having tremendous influence upon him through the teachings of Holy Scripture and by their example of a sincere, authentic faith. Paul, who many will say, well, you know, Timothy came under the tutelage of the Apostle Paul. Wow, Timothy was tutored and taught and trained and discipled and mentored by Paul. But Paul will say, no, 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 I'm sorry. I, I can't take credit for this. I'll tell you who needs to take credit. And this is recorded in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. He says, Timothy's mom and grandmother created this sincere faith in him. They mentored him well. Their motherhood of mentorship taught him authentic, genuine, devoted, dedicated faith. That's, what he'll, that's how he'll describe Timothy. He'll say, you have such a sincere faith because I know that's the faith that was in your mom and your grandmother, and they deposited that into you. What would Eunice, I think, say to all of us? And her name actually means victory. You want to walk in victory? Walk in authentic, dedicated, devoted walk. Not perfect, you'll never pull it off. Don't get frustrated with your imperfections. I think she'd say, I have many of my own but be devoted and dedicated. That's a fragrance that your children, those you're influencing, can smell and take it in. Be authentic. Be devoted. Be dedicated. Be genuine, though not perfect. And oh, listen, you will have more than an influence, an impression, even a noteworthy example. You will have an impact that will be indelible upon those that he has called you to be over. And the last one I would say, 
is Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus. What would she give as a word of advice to all of us? Well, listen, I don't need to add anything. I don't need to expound on it. Let me just quote it literally from Holy Scripture. It's recorded in John chapter 2 and verse 5. It's in the context of the wedding at Cana, and this is what she said. Whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. And that is her advice to all of us. Whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. If you're going to do anything for Jesus, do it now in a spirit of obedience. Amen? Can everyone stand? Here's a word that Jesus spoke. I'm going to ask everyone here in the sanctuary, there in the overflow room, at home even, yeah, in your living room, just stand. Jesus said we have to be born again. We have to come into a living relationship with him. And I'm going to ask every head to be bowed, every eye to be closed, and I'm going to invite you to heed the counsel and advice of Mary when she said, do whatever Jesus tells you to do. And if you're here or you're listening right now online, you've never received Jesus as your Savior and Lord. He said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He said, you have to be born again. In other words, you have to receive me into your heart, not as a religion, but a living relationship to be your Savior, the forgiver of your sins, and to be the Lord, the supreme leader of your life. Pray this prayer with me right now. Jesus, I give my heart to you, and I invite you to come into my life. I repent of my sins, and I know that your very words when you said God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish then in the proclamation of God's love you also identified the reality of judgment and perishing and the reality of hell and I don't want to go there so this day not as fire insurance but as a relationship I want to receive you as my savior and as my lord and I do it right now. There, there's several of you that are praying this prayer with me. Oh, yes, you are from your heart, authentically and sincerely. And God is hearing your invitation to say, Jesus, come into my heart and my life. I want you as my Savior, Lord. And just say this to Jesus. I receive the promise of abundant life life filled with purpose and I receive the promise of eternal life to live with you forever and ever and not to perish now I, I pray this blessing over everyone who's listening everyone all believers everyone here I believe by example those words of advice counsel from Eve don't underestimate the serpent. Be discerning. Don't underestimate redemption. Trust that God can begin a new story. From Sarah, don't be impatient with God's plan and strategy and timetable. Trust him. He'll bring it about. And from Hagar, remember 
Even when you can't see, he sees you and his presence will sustain you. From Jacobet, know that when death comes in strong, you can be protected by a basket of hope and faith and prayer. And God will draw out a miracle. And with Eunice, give the word, deposit it well, and be authentic as a living example of Christ. May the Lord bless you and fill you with the wisdom that comes from Holy Scripture and counsel from these godly mothers. And may Jesus, yes, Jesus, be the center of it all when we hear Mary say, do whatever he tells you to do.